Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter. I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. I finally have the gang back together. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> we're a gang? What happened? I thought we were a shop. No, we're, we're very friendly people. We're the friendly gang. Yes. We're like the Hell's Angels. Are they friendly? Did, did, did they, like, contribute to deaths at some concert or something? <laughs> All right, we're not like the Hell's Angels, then. We are the friendly Casper of gangs. But we are here to discuss some friendly games today. We're looking at two games that are on the lighter end. So we're going to do a kind of modified review and only talk about three points for each. We're going to start with Zombie Kids Evolution, a legacy game. And then we're going to talk about Team 3. Before we get to that, though, we have some people to thank. Yes, uh, as always, we want to thank some of our Patreon supporters. This week we're thanking Level Erfie, a co-op lover. Esben Arild Rasmussen, a co-op MVP. And sorry if I mispronounce your name. And Chris Powers, one of our favorites on the Slack, also a co-op MVP. Thank you to all three of you, and thank you to everyone who supports us on the channel, uh, leaves comments on YouTube, uh, joins us on the Slack, anything you do to join this fun conversation we're having. Well, I am glad I put you in charge of the names, because, yeah, I, I would definitely get them wrong. Well, I probably do too, but at least now I can be the one blamed instead of you. Well, yeah, so, th- therefore thankful. <laughs> Oh, and we didn't mention, after we review the two games, we're going to have a design discussion on splitting up roles among players and giving them, like, actually different kind of diverse things to do in a game. Yeah, so, like, asymmetric roles within a co-op game. Yeah, so Team 3 is an example of that, or something like Space Cadets. We'll get to several examples as we discuss it. Cool, all right, but before we get into it, let's talk about Zombie Kids. Mike, you want to go through the uh, layout of a turn? Sure. So this is a legacy-ish game in that you're unlocking things. Although I will say, while you do use stickers to kind of mark your progress, nothing is destroyed in the game, and you can choose not to use pieces as you go along, so if you want to play an easier game. But it's for one to four players, and you have these uh, kids in the middle of the board, and you're basically trying to lock four gates on the outside of the board. And even if you're playing solo, you have to always have two characters. So on a player's turn, they'll roll the zombie dice to spawn zombies. Uh, The die corresponds to different colored rooms on the board, and they'll place the zombies on there. And then they get to move, uh, defeat any zombies on their space, up to two. If a space has three zombies, they can't move in there. It's overcrowded. And then finally, at the end of your turn, if you are on the same outside space, one of these four gate spaces, as another player, then you close the gate there. And uh, if you ever have to spawn a zombie and you can't, you lose. If you close all four gates, you win. And that's literally the entire game. (laughs) Hey, don't forget, you forgot the closing the gate action has the high five associated with it. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, so you you have to high five, or if you're playing solo, high five yourself (laughs) to close the gate. That is correct. Very cool. So normally we do a top five list, but as Mike said, we're going to do top three. And what we do is we start with the number three thing, which we think is the least important thing you need to know about the game and work our way up to number one, which is the most important thing. The reason we did a top three list this week, first of all, we're covering two games, but also these are smaller games. And so there's not really as much to talk about with them. Oh man, wait till we get to team three. I do struggle mightily to come up with three things for that. 
Well, and to be honest, mine aren't as... Typically when I do this, they're very game design oriented and very focused on the design itself, but there wasn't a whole lot with the design of these games themselves. So most of these are pretty fluffy for me this week. I got to be honest. All right, who's going first, Peter? I'll start it off. So for Zombie Kids, my number three is that they're easy actions. As Mike said, you're literally rolling a dice, you're moving, and you're killing the zombies at your space. If you're on the outskirts, you slap high five, and you close the gate. And that is literally it. So because of that, it can be played with kids of all ages. And while it sounds a lot dumber than it is, it's, I don't know, there's something to it. Like, you feel like you're accomplishing things on your turn, even though sometimes you are backsliding a little bit or just staying still. It feels like you're doing stuff, even though the actions are very, very simple. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But my number three is a mix, and that's uh, the zombie spawning. So on the positive side, this is very quick, very simple to resolve. Uh, You just roll a die. Some things later might change up how you spawn them and give you some more choice. Later on, the zombies might spawn in special ways. I'm sort of being vague here because I don't want to give away all the unlockable content. But yeah, that's all fine. The negative side is that fairly rare. It didn't happen to us too often. But you'll sometimes get into kind of a null state where you are spawning zombies as quickly as you can kill them. And you'll sometimes have to wait until you roll the blank side and spawn nobody to kind of break that stalemate. And it can feel like you don't make any progress for a few turns. Again, that doesn't happen too often, and I will say it's mainly with the first few things you unlock. It's pretty much never happened again since we've unlocked almost everything at our house. So it's it's a minor complaint, but it's something to kind of look out for, especially in your earlier plays. Yeah, and something else that might happen is you may keep rolling the same space over and over. And again, this doesn't pertain to later in the game, but certainly early on, once you get three guys on a space, you're never getting them off. So you could get this huge stack of zombies that keeps coming in the same spot if you keep rolling the same color over and over. Yeah, although as Peter said, uh, early unlocks, like literally the first things you unlock will address that in some way. Yep, and so speaking of unlocks, that's my number two, is the legacy elements of the game. And the nice part about this is it's a family-friendly game that you can play with children and they get the joy of being able to unlock games the way we all have in legacy games. It's also a legacy system that's not 50 games long, or maybe it is 50 actually, because there are a lot of bubbles on there to fill up. But you're always making progress. Every game you're putting at least one sticker on, and it gives you like mini quests to do. And if you do them, then you get to put another sticker on. So it lets you progress the game And it gives the kids the joy of opening and unlocking things in a legacy-style game. So I like the fact that it's family-friendly and legacy at the same time. Yeah, again, I think we're going to double up a lot here (laughs) because there's not a lot in the game. But my number two is basically your number three. I think uh, the game is super accessible, but also does have a nice amount of tactics. Especially when I play with my seven-year-old, he can get some of the kind of combinations you can work out with different powers and things that get unlocked and set people up like he'll he'll say sometimes i'm going to set you up for next turn and it's really cool to kind of see him thinking that way in a game that is simple but still has that i won't even say tactical depth but at least tactical options now my four-year-old doesn't get any of that but uh again you can kind of turn off options for some players if you want to even if you have unlocked them so we just leave him with kind of the basic options and he's still able to enjoy his zombie smashing in a, a simpler way So yeah, uh, totally agreeing with Peter. The accessibility and the little bit of tactics that's in there is really nice for the game. And my last one is that each game is like 10 to 15 minutes. 
And I know that's a weird one to be my number one point, but I mean, we've talked about what you're doing on your turns. It's not very complicated. Each player's turn is very, very quick. And the game overall is very, very quick. I think that if this was the kind of game that lasted for a half an hour even, it would overstay its welcome. I think as quick as it is, even if you get in a situation where it locks up, it's not a problem for me because the games end so quickly. And it is a fairly easy co-op, I would say. Now, maybe it gets harder as you unlock more and more things, but we've had a pretty easy time. I think we've only lost one of our first 10 or 15 games that we've played through it. So you're going to win more than you're going to lose, but I think that's okay for a family weight co-op. And I've really enjoyed my plays of it. And, And that's because of this quick time frame. I think if it wasn't that, then it would be not as accessible or family friendly. Yeah, I agree 100%. And my number one is your number two. It's the unlocks. It just kind of flip-flopped to my number one for me because that's what gave my son the most enjoyment and actually both my sons. And I I should have said at the beginning, and I think this is the same for you, Peter, that I'm certainly (laughs) reviewing this game in terms of playing with kids. I think when we get to our final thoughts, neither of us is probably going to recommend it for a serious gaming group or anything. But yeah, just the, the opening of envelopes, the finding out new things... The achievements that Peter mentioned were like if you do certain things or go for kind of wacky combinations of abilities, you can unlock things faster. The fact that even if you lose, you still progress. All of that is great. The only negative is that it does take between one to four games, or not one, it's always at least two. It takes between two to four games to unlock the next envelope. Now, Peter said the game is incredibly fast. So if you play like two or three times in a row, you can unlock something every time you open up the box. And it'll still only take you like maybe 30 minutes or 45 minutes. But, you know, it can feel like a little bit of a grind sometimes. So that that might kind of put you off a little bit uh, if your kids kind of lose interest quickly. Mine, again, were able to just sit down and play it several times in a row and it was never a problem. We'd basically just play until we got another envelope unlocked. But like Peter said, it can sort of overstay its welcome. Not in that a single play takes a while. But if the main thing that's driving your interest is the unlocks, you might have to wait a little bit for them. A little trick for that that I've done is we'll play one game after the unlock. So you've unlocked something. So you have something new to play with. And then the next time we sit down, we're playing with that same thing again to get to the next unlock and then play with that new unlock. So you're playing two games to three games in a day, but typically one of them will be with something different. Now that that makes a lot of sense. And you also set yourself up if you play once after the unlock to have the next unlock only be like two games away. Right, exactly. And so the next time you come in, you have to remind yourself what the new rules and things like that are. And I should say, at least to where we've gotten so far, it's not like these unlocks are are mind-blowing or... I mean, they're good, they're cool, they're cool enough to bring the kids in, and they are cool enough to change the gameplay, but it's not like you're... I guess I'm trying to explain that it's not like a Pandemic Legacy Season 2, where you might have a hard time remembering the rules when playing down the road. Each of them are simple enough to, even if you unlocked it last time, you're not going to have a whole lot of catch-up to do to, like, learn the rules again. Yeah, and that does kind of lead into, I guess I'll get right into my final thoughts. A cynical way of looking at this game is that the unlocks are just the abilities that would have been in the game anyway, and you're slowly unlocking the full game instead of actually having things change and kind of morph. And you don't really have any control of anything. It's not a legacy game where you're making choices and stuff. So I don't even know if you would call this a legacy game. By some definitions, you might not. But for kids, like for my kids, this has been 
a out-and-out hit, their favorite game, the game we had played more than any other that I can remember, in recent memory at least. We basically unlocked everything. I've played it either with my son or with uh, both my sons or with my wife and my sons or with, like, grandma and my sons. Uh, We've played it, I think, 25 or 30 times now. We're just about to unlock the last envelope, and they love it. Uh, Harrison has literally set it up by himself as my seven-year-old and played it with my four-year-old or taught it to adults. So he definitely, I think by unlocking the envelopes, he's kind of felt a greater ownership of the game. So yeah, I mean, I fully, fully recommend this. And oh my gosh, I think I got it for like 16 bucks. It's ridiculously cheap for the amount of uh, fun and gameplay you're going to get out of it. But again, you know, go and realizing it's a very light game. It's really more for kids, although you will get enough tactical enjoyment, I think, to have fun with it. And again, the unlocks aren't going to surprise you that much. Basically, once you've unlocked a few things, you'll be able to predict a lot of what's coming. Yeah, I'm going to totally mirror what you said and say that it is a excellent game to play with families. For the price, you can't beat it. So one thing we didn't talk too much about, we talked about the legacy elements. We didn't talk too much about the achievement system they have there. And I think that drives you forward too, because the gameplay itself doesn't necessarily change from game to game, but these goals that you're going for do change. And so some games, I mean, early on, they're easy, right? Win with two players, win with three players, win with four players. So they encourage you to do things like that, to play with different player counts. Hold on, let's invite mom in this time. Let's make sure, you know, we got both kids in. So that way we get the three player one. So it encourages you to play a little bit differently. It encourages you to challenge yourself a little bit. And so for me, even though the game is the same every time, you have these mini goals to do too. So I think there is a lot in there for what you're getting. Now, it is a family weight game. Don't get me wrong. There's no question about that. I probably wouldn't pull it out with the guys, but I thought about it because there are some achievements I need that require me to get more players to play it. And so (laughs) I certainly thought about bringing it out. Hey, let's play this real quick 10 minutes for game night so I can uh, unlock some more stuff. See, the funny thing is, that's what Harrison was doing. He was like, hey, Grandma, want to play this game? She's like, what are you talking about? He's like, hey, Grandma, Grandma, we need three players. Sit down right now. (laughs) But, I mean, it encourages that, and it's so funny. It's like these apps with these microtransactions. It really gets you to, like, do stuff like that, to pull it out and want to do different things. So, I mean, I think it's really clever in that way. I I think the mini goals are something new. You know, I probably should have put that as my number one thing. But I really think that is something that makes it unique. And so... I'm loving it for now. I, it's not something that I'm going to be playing in 10 years, though. I, I know that, right? But I am enjoying. I will certainly get every penny, and I already have gotten every penny that I spent on it out of it. And so if you've got younger gamers you're playing with or new to co-op gamers, I think it's a great way to start with people. Yeah, I mean, at this price, I can think of probably almost no games that have given me as much bang for buck, you know, fun with my family. Totally agree. All right. That was fast. <laughs> so Wow, we we did. We both uh, went the same place at the same time. Let's go over to Team 3. Talk about that one. Well, you talk about it, Peter. That was your job. Team 3 is very straightforward. If there were no limitations in this game, it would be super simple. Basically, you have these Tetris-shaped blocks, and they're big, thick, chunky blocks. And you get a picture, and you have to construct that picture. But there's a twist, of course, because otherwise it would be super simple. It'd be like, put these three blocks together. But the way it works is the person who is putting the puzzle together is not allowed to look. So it's based on the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. 
And so the person who is constructing this can see no evil. So they are not allowed to look. They have to stay basically blindfolded the whole time. The person who is telling them what to do, the one who is speaking, cannot hear. And so they cannot get instructions either from the person who is blind or from the person who is telling them how to construct it because the person who's talking doesn't have vision to what this card looks like and what the final structure looks like. So they are relying on the person who is not allowed to talk to explain to them what the person who is not allowed to see is doing. So I know it sounds complicated, but basically somebody gets a card, they're not allowed to say anything. They have to convey without using words to someone who then conveys orally to someone who can't see who is trying to put together the final puzzle. So it's all a convoluted mess. Basically, you're trying to do all this in three minutes, and it is way more fun than it should be. But that is final thoughts. Let's start out with our points, though. Mike, what's your number three? So I said I struggled to figure out what I would say about this one. So I came up with three limiteds. So all three of my points start with the word limited. So my number three is a con, and that is the limited player count. And this will kind of go into our designs discussion later. But because of the very specific roles that need to be played with here, the game needs three players. Uh, No more, no less. There's a competitive mode that changes that up. We don't care about that. (laughs) Now, I will say that I kind of just muddled my way into a two-player variant where the person who's looking at the card also talks, and only the person who has their eyes covered kind of keeps the same exact role. And that works fine, but then, of course, the game is way easier. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, just kind of... It's fine, but there are other games that do similar things that have more flexibility in player count. So it's just a little bit irksome that I need to have exactly three players to play the game as fully intended. Yes, that is very true. It is definitely a three-player game. My number three is good tension in the game. And what I mean by that is it's amazing with this limited communication how many miscommunications you can have and how much stupid, goofy stuff happens. So, for example... I don't know that I've played this where somebody hasn't called out a color. Like, it's the green one. It's the green one. Now, remember, you're telling a person who is not allowed to look that it is the green piece that they are looking for. And so there's always something goofy like this. Or last time we were playing with one of my kids and my wife and myself, and I kept telling my wife that it was right because I was standing at kind of a weird angle. So I was between the two of them. And so I kept saying, to your right, to your right, which obviously was her left because I was getting confused because I was off to the side on a weird angle. So there's definitely a lot of tension slash weird communication that's put on by the timer. Although I will say I don't always play with the timer, but it's still fun to do it because you're not used to being so limited in your communication. So for me, number three, I like the tension that the game creates. And that's basically my number two, the limited communication and the the tension and fun. I mean, literally, it took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say that it's funny that people always say the colors, even though it doesn't help at all. So, yes, I agree with you 100%. My number two. (laughs) Nice. I tried to let you go first this time so you wouldn't be just saying, yeah, what he said. And, of course, I'm going to be one-upping you like with all these as well. Well, you're not with the next one, I'm pretty sure. So go ahead. All right, so my number two is the asymmetrical roles, (laughs) which is probably your number one. So, yes, you have three different people doing three different roles. It is fun. I typically, because the games are three minutes long, I typically want to play a second and third time because everybody wants to play each of the roles. And so it really does put a nice, fun spin on it. 
For a three-minute game, it gives you more than three minutes of playability in there. We've even played for like up to a half an hour some nights and just over and over, keep going back and forth. And I'm like, no, kids, time to go to bed. So because of that asymmetrical roles, it makes you almost want to finish out the round where everybody gets to do all the roles equal number of times. Yeah, uh, that's kind of part of my number one. My number one is the limited variety in the game. I did not have as much fun as you said. I can't imagine playing this for half an hour. Whenever I sat down to play it, I would play it one time around, like each of us taking turns with a different role, and that was about all that I had interest in. The roles don't change much. I find the exact same clues being given every time. You kind of get into like, I mean, I guess you could call it a groove, like the same kind of thing you might say for something like The Mind, but here it didn't really feel satisfying to get into that groove, at least for me. And the cards don't really change things up that much. There aren't that many different shapes. The puzzles don't really feel that different. So yeah, I just felt like I was uh, repeating the exact same rote kind of ideas uh, each time. All right. Well, my number one's more positive than that. And that is that there are three different difficulty levels in the game. And even within the same difficulty level, I think puzzles can be easier and harder as well. So just the higher levels tend to use more of the pieces. And I don't know. I really like the way that works. I like that you can ratchet up the tension and ratchet down the tension if you want. Now, I will say when I play this, typically I will play without the timer the first round or two and then gradually introduce the timer to new players or even as we're getting down to play for the first time, second time in the night. I don't necessarily want that time pressure in addition to the other pressures of the game. So I do like to ratchet it up that way, but you can also ratchet it up with the different levels. So yes, while it's not that different, you are speeding up as a player yourself. It is similar to the mind or something else where you get better at it the more you do it, and especially the more you do it with a group of people. And so I like the fact that they give you new challenges to work your way up to. And because of that, the games, while they are similar, you're increasing the tension. So you're kind of pushing yourself to see how far you can get. So that's my number one, is just the different levels you can play. All right, Mike, well, it doesn't sound like you're as thrilled with this game as I am, so why don't you go ahead and give your final thoughts first? Yeah, uh, this one wasn't much of anything for me. Um, I I only played it more because you said we were going to review it, (laughs) quite honestly. Now, it didn't help that my kids didn't love it. I mean, Harrison enjoyed it okay, the seven-year-old. The four-year-old wanted to play it, but I did find that even the basic idea of like kind of moving shapes, like he's just getting good at like doing puzzles. So he wasn't always even like (laughs) I I put a card in front of him and I was like, Hey, put the shapes to look like that. And he couldn't always even do that. So there seems to be like kind of an odd age frame for this because by the time I'm like, you know, Harrison who's seven, he loves the mind. He loves magic maze. I personally find those a billion times more interesting in terms of limited communication games than this one. So I would never pick this one. Like, I don't get enough enjoyment out of it. And my kids are either too young or already advanced enough to move on to better games. So clearly Peter had a better experience than I did, but I don't really recommend this one. I I did also play Mental Blocks. Like, I I learned this from Jason Perez. We probably should have said that uh, from Every Night is Game Night. He taught it to us at PAX uh, U, and I also played Mental Blocks there. And I would certainly rather play Mental Blocks than this with uh, similar kind of things. Although I do think this one's way easier to get to the table with kids than Mental Blocks. Mental Blocks is better, I think, for older people. But uh, yeah, I I don't really recommend this one personally. 
All right. Well, I had a much more positive experience with it. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't going to be my favorite game of the year, but my kids love it. And in fact, they want to pull this out all the time. So this is a game we definitely enjoy playing. This is a game that they really enjoy playing. They like the physical manipulation. I think just the big chunky plastic pieces is fun for them to manipulate. They have asked for it. And my kids are 8 and 12. So I do think... You know, you say your seven-year-old's aged out of some of these things, but I think maybe you've aged him out of those things. I don't know that he wouldn't. Well, yes, that's that's entirely fair. (laughs) I think given his own, you know, because I play, I mean, with my 12-year-old, I'm certainly playing things like Keyforge, so he can handle heavier games. But I think a lot of times the kids want to play something simpler, you know, like Zombie Kids or Team 3. Now, don't get me wrong. It works out perfectly for my family because I have two kids. Both of them are very much into this game. And so, yes, if I didn't have that situation or I had one that was too young to play it, I certainly think it would be more frustrating. But with my family situation, with there being three of us most of the time, because my wife typically isn't joining us, and if she does, I don't mind sitting out and watching. This is a game that I wouldn't, I don't mind spectating because of those funny moments and funny things that happen. So it feels kind of like a party game as well as a team game. Now, if you want to make it more of a party game, and this again is a limited number thing and competitive, but you can play with six players and go head to head. They give you enough pieces that at the level one cards, you can certainly do head to head competitions where two teams are trying to build them at the same time. And I think that would be fun and frantic as well. Again, it's not going to be my favorite game of the year, but at the same time for the price point, if you have three players that you're typically playing with, Whether they be kids or not, I think definitely better for kids, but I could certainly see this being a good starter for the night. I I think this actually scales to some degree in my mind better than Zombie Kids, because Zombie Kids, there's not enough fun in Zombie Kids, if you know what I mean, like fun, goofy, laughing stuff, to make it a good filler for adults. Whereas, I mean, it's a good tactical puzzle, but it's a good tactical puzzle in the family sense. Whereas this, I think adults could still have fun because... You know, you're put out of your comfort zone. You're not doing things that you would normally do. So, I don't know. I recommend this a little bit more, but especially if you're playing with groups of three, typically. Yeah, I think that's all fair. I, I might have just kind of come into this one with a bit of a, a negative feeling from the start. Yeah, I, I could tell when I was trying to get you to play it that you're pretty negative. I'm like, oh, he's going to be negative on this review without... Basically, you had played it once at that point. And Jason said he didn't like it. And I think, you know, that might have influenced you a little, too. Yeah, and I don't think Jerry loved it at PAX either, so it was definitely, yeah, a bit stacked. And if, if I had had a very positive family experience, it probably would have gone better. So, yeah, you know, t- take my opinion with a grain of salt. But it's it's good. We haven't had a really negative review in a while, so hey, there you go. <laughs> no, and as far as mental blocks go, I agree. I This is very specific that I think if you had three players, I'd rather play this. If you had four players, I'd rather play mental blocks. Maybe more. I've never played Mental Blocks with more than four. The two-player Mental Blocks I didn't think was great because it was too easy because you had too much information turned up. Now, I did make a variant for it where you each just get two cards, so it's not quite as open in information. But certainly if I had four, I'd rather play Mental Blocks, obviously, because you can't play Team 3. So that also puts it in a very interesting niche that not everybody's going to be able to do. But again, what is this, $20 game? So for 20 bucks. If you think you're going to enjoy it, I think it's something you'll get your money out of. All right, so two games for the price of one, Zombie Kids Evolution and Team 3. And now we're going to get into our design discussion, really coming off of Team 3. Zombie Kids Evolution doesn't have this. 
But that's the idea of asymmetric roles, each player having a very specific role or very specific tasks to do that the other players can't do at all, almost like they're playing their own little game that kind of puzzles together with the other players to win or lose. Yeah, and I mean, we can get into asymmetry and talk about whether we feel like Zombie Kids has it. We're not going to start there. But do individual player powers think pandemic? You can all do different things, even though you can all also do the same thing. What level of asymmetry? I think, I think like everything in design, is there's a spectrum there. And certainly later in the game, there are things that certain characters can do in Zombie Kids that other characters can't do. So are we going to include individual player powers in this? Or do we want to stick to like straight up asymmetry? Well, let's at least start, because we've we've gone over player powers and things many times. Let's start with the very strict form of, like, I'm doing something totally different than you. So things like uh, Space Cadets or U-Boat to an extent, uh, those kind of things. So remind me in Space Cadets, what are the different roles there? Oh, man, I haven't played that in forever. But, like, I know, like, one person is reaching into a bag to do something and has, like, a spatial puzzle. Somebody else is doing something else. Somebody else is, like, moving the figure. Somebody else is doing the attacks. So they each, like, are doing their own little mini game, basically, to achieve their, like, uh, station's uh, activity or whatever. Yes, I'm sorry. That's the that's the one by Jeff Engelstein. That's the more party game-ish one where you all have different stations where you're doing different things. You know, I was thinking space alert and I was like, what do you do differently there? Yeah. Somebody mans different stations, but that's by choice, not because they, uh, (laughs) they had to do something separate. All right. So yes, space cadets. Yes. That is a party game. Everybody's got their own different role. I'm with you now. Yeah. And another example that I can think of is XCOM from fantasy flight where you each have like your own role that you resolve with the app that's separate from everybody else's role. I think for co-op games, this is a neat way of making people feel unique. And it is certainly, I guess, the biggest pro for it, I think, for a lot of people. And I don't even know why I didn't think of this before. But that you can't really alpha game when somebody has a completely different role than you and you don't know what they're able to do and not able to do. Well, it depends because some of these are real time and they're being resolved simultaneously. Other ones are, like, I do my resolution, now you do your resolution, and then I think you can sometimes get into alpha gaming still. Sure, I guess if you had hidden information along with it, which, I mean, if you have hidden information, then that kind of takes away alpha gaming anyway. So, I mean, there are pros and cons to this, right? Look, Let's look at Root. Part of the cons of Root is teaching the game can be a bear. And I think Space Cadets ran into a little of this too, especially because there were so many stations Whereas something like Team 3, there's asymmetry in it, but they're each so simple to do and understand that it's not a big learning burden and problem. And I think that could be one of the negatives of having asymmetry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, I find mostly negatives for this, like things that are really difficult to surmount. Uh, Even bigger one for me than the teaching is player count. So I think Team 3, even though I complained about it, does probably the best choice, which is to say, hey, this is how many you need to play with. But most of these games will try to get away with... uh, The most common solution is if there's five roles, uh, you know, if you're playing with three players, divide up the roles this way. And if you're playing with six players, one of you is like the leader. (laughs) That's how a lot of games do this kind of thing. And I think that's really problematic in most cases for a few reasons. First, and the biggest one, is that to do that, you have to either have some roles that aren't fun or don't matter much, 
or you need to have like a lot of downtime. So as an example, most of these games, I mean, again, I haven't played Space Cadets in a while, but I'm pretty sure this was the case. Some of the roles will be like less involved or have less to do. And that plays well when you have like fewer than the regular player count. Cause Oh, we only have three players. You can take the really boring role. That one's pretty quick and easy to resolve. But then that becomes a terrible role to play when you have the full player count and, like, one of you has to do that kind of thankless job. Sure, I could see that. Now, the other way to get over that and kind of keep all the jobs interesting is to have them take sequential turns, like XCOM does that with the app. But then you get into the problem of potentially more downtime or more alpha gaming. Like, if you have to wait for... You know, Peter, to take three different turns at three different stations instead of having them all be resolved simultaneously. Yes, you can make each of those stations interesting, but you're really kind of uh, shutting down the amount that some people feel like they're influencing and playing the game. So I think this is a, a really tough thing to deal with. And maybe the best way is just to say, hey, this is a game for four players and that's it. But then you, you know, of course, drastically decrease the frequency with which you can play the game and the value that it will have for different uh, groups. So, yeah, I don't really know what the the answer is here. Well, I think right now we're dealing with two games, and that's part of the problem. I don't think that that has to be the way it is, because, again, look at Root, for example. There is a way to play Root with anywhere from two to five players, and those factions are very asymmetric, and they do count on each other kind of intermingling. So even though it would be more ideal at a certain player count, potentially, I think you don't have to have the same number of roles. Now, Team 3, obviously you do, right? Because, well, not necessarily, because you found a way to play it with two roles. And I know one of the boxes, so we didn't mention this about Team 3, but there's a green box and a pink box. And I know in the green box, there's a five-player variant in there as well. So there are ways to scale even that game. But I think there's a way to do it where you just have less roles and maybe automate one of the roles more so or yeah i don't know because if you do take a role out then you're basically saying that that role isn't important even with the higher player count games what you'd almost have to do is present it with its own threat right so you're taking care of internal threats but in a three-player game we don't have internal threats or something along those lines sure so like limit what's actually happening That, that might be the best way to do it but then again what is the ideal experience here and what are you cutting out or grafting on to like make the game just work at different counts? I mean, hopefully you wouldn't, right? Because you don't feel like you're missing anything when you play Root with less players, do you? Well, but I mean, Root is not a great comp here because we're talking about co-op and, and we're talking about co-op games, right? Well, no, but there's roles like the one guy that goes around trading goods with people. I mean, do you miss him when he's not in the game? Well, but again, I, Root is a competitive game, and I think this is a very different thing when you get into competitive games. Because, you know, Vast wasn't necessarily our favorite from the same company, but Vast also does asymmetry that's very different. And, you know, I'm, I'm uh, learning Cuba Libre for a uh, playthrough video coming up here sometime. That's uh, one of the coin series from GMT, and that has, like, massive asymmetry. But I think, I mean, I don't know. If we just kind of open up the discussion to any asymmetric game, including competitive, that's a very different topic. If we're talking specifically about asymmetric roles in co-op games, I don't know that I've seen one that really does it fully successfully. Team 3 might be one of the most successful just because the roles are so simple and the game so quick that it doesn't seem as much of a burden to kind of get it to the table and play it. Sure, I'll totally agree with that. 
I do think there's a way to do it, though. And I mean, games stretch this. And I mean, I know we said we weren't going to get into player powers, but certainly they do. People take on roles. Even in games like Space Alert, which we were talking about earlier, people end up taking certain roles because of where they're physically located on the ship. So they're not given roles at the beginning of the game, but people kind of tend to, I'll take care of the battery while I'm down here. And so people assign themselves certain roles. And I do feel like they get different play experiences, even though they're playing the same game together. Like a lot of times, somebody will take care of the internal threats and somebody will take care of the guns. And that game does it in a way that I don't feel is diminished based on player count. Now, you're obviously getting less overall threats, but they still have a way to do everything, even with a lower player count. So I think it's possible. I just don't know how easy it is to do. And I I mean, obviously, I think that's why nobody's done it yet. Yeah, and I mean, it's a very different thing just to say, like, people kind of fulfill different roles or do different things in the game, because that's almost every co-op game to an extent, you know? Sure. I think something like Team 3, like you are literally engaged in a different task, and that does have the beautiful pro, as you had mentioned in the Team 3 review, that you can play the game multiple times and feel like you're getting entirely new stuff, which, to be fair, is something you also get kind of in a different way from something like Root or Sentinels of the Multiverse or a modular deck system uh, game from the Sadler Brothers. But I think it's like a really big difference when it's like, oh my gosh, I'm literally doing different things with different components I never saw before, uh, like a task that only I am doing and no one else is doing. I think it's like really kind of a cool thing. I just wish there were a way to do it more consistently and successfully. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, and that brings up a good point, too. I think you want the games to be shorter if they're going to have these asymmetric powers. I mean, again, going back to the competitive side, Root and Vast definitely don't follow this model. But because you do want to play different roles, I think Team 3 does it right, where we can all play all these roles in the same night. So having a shorter experience certainly helps. And again, it also helps because the teach is so easy. So maybe that is the answer. Maybe the answer is quicker playtime, and simplified rules, and simplified roles, and just keeping it fairly straightforward. Yeah, I think a smaller, straightforward, quicker game really does fix a lot of the big problems. If it can only be played like Team 3 can with a certain number of players, it's not as big of a deal if it's a quick game. You can play at the beginning of a game night before people get there, or at the end of a game night after somebody leaves. And the other biggest kind of uh, obstacle you said was teaching everybody how to go. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think... At least if we want to see more of these games kind of be successful, then I try to make them this big, like, kind of stretching, <laughs> epic experience. As, I mean, I, I guess these games aren't huge, but all the other ones we've mentioned are at least an hour long, if not more than that. Although, you know, I, I will say, in XCOM's defense, I have never played that still. And I know you were kind of lukewarm on it. But Colin has been playing the heck out of that. He did a playthrough on the channel, and uh, he's been saying he loves that even as a solo game. So, at least for him, that one clearly did some things right in keeping all the roles interesting and kind of giving you lots of varied things to do. Yes, potentially, except I think the reason he's loving it is because he's playing it solo, because I, I think you're right. I don't know that any of the roles are interesting enough to keep you engaged if you have to sit through everybody else's turn and the AI turn. Yeah, good point. Whereas if you're doing everything, then yes, there's enough there. You feel like you're having full fulfilling turns before the AI. But let me ask you about this one. How about code names? Not duet, straight up code names, cooperative. One person's a clue giver 
and the other person or persons are the clue receiver. So that's another, I guess, example. And again, it kind of fulfills our, as long as it's short, it works. Yeah, that's an interesting one because it's just kind of alternating between roles. You could also look, now these aren't cooperative, but something like Dixit or Apples to Apples, like the the judge versus the the clue giver or the card player or whatever. I guess party games do, in a way, fulfill this, and Codenames is a good example of a cooperative one that gives you a different feel. I don't think it gets the full effect because, again, it's just kind of either or. This turn you're guessing, next turn you're giving clues. But it's, it's definitely a good example of one that works well with it being somewhat limited. So is this something you would want to strive for? Because, I mean, let's be honest. We don't know what the next big thing's going to be, but I don't think anybody's done this to the point where everybody is minds blown by it yet. And so this could be the next big thing, right? If someone came up with a very good asymmetric co-op game, it could be the next big thing. Is this something that tickles your fancy? Is this like a design challenge you'd want to take on? I mean, in theory, I, I you know I love asymmetric stuff. Like Root is one of my favorites. And even something like Sentinels and Modular Deck System, I just like the idea of kind of playing around with new things. But yeah, it's just, that's a challenge. If I design it, I'm like, these are the four roles and they are all awesome. Then how do you divide that up if you don't have four players? And if you do have four players, how do you get anyone to buy it? <laughs> you know what I mean? If that's like the only way to play it. Sure. And I think it would have to be something where you could take any of the roles, and this would be the key, I think, take any of the roles out and it would still be awesome with three players. And you want to play with the same three players, you can add that role back in, take one of the other ones out. So it couldn't be something like piloting a starship, right? Because you always need a pilot there. You always need a gunner. Like those roles are essential for the game. I think it would have to be something where almost like a town building game or something like that, where not every role was necessarily essential, but at the same time, all the roles would be fun and interesting in and of themselves. Yeah, you know, I just sort of thought of this. And sorry, we're just kind of going off now <laughs> in, in design brain. Imagine it was modules. Okay, so you know how like a lot of... You, you see this a lot in games these days. A lot of games will have modules you can add that don't change the overall difficulty of the game, but they give you a bonus and a penalty. Like, here's something new you have to deal with, but here's a new power or ability or resource you have to draw upon. So take that one step further. Instead of the modules just being like little expansion kind of ideas on top of it, imagine that each new role you add in also comes with it its own like kind of obstacle but it has to be interesting and interact with all the roles and not just be like, I'm dealing with my obstacle and you're dealing with your obstacle and we have no kind of cooperation between us. I don't know how you would make that entire puzzle work, but that would be pretty cool to do that. Yeah, and I think that's where the challenge is with co-op. I think you're right. That's why these roles have worked so well in competitive is because you can do that and have interplay that doesn't require all of the roles to work together necessarily. Whereas what we're talking about here and with cooperative games, we've all played cooperative games where there's not that much interaction between people. I'll point out Legendary versus Legendary Encounters. Legendary Encounters added cards in that let you interact with the other people at the table, whereas straight up Legendary, you're really just deciding what cards you want to add to your own deck, and you're playing it more in a solitary experience. So 
I feel like you would have to figure out that part of the puzzle also. It's not just, I I think making those asymmetrical roles would be easy enough to do, but how do you make them interact? That would be the the secret sauce. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely interesting kind of design uh, challenge (laughs) when we have time between all our other design things. No, and I think that's what it is. I think this is a challenge. So anybody looking for a challenge, I mean, I'd love to see this game made, whatever it is, you know, where you do have asymmetrical roles. The roles have to be simple enough that you're not taking an hour to teach each person their role. The game's got to be quick enough that you can play multiple games in the evening if you want to play multiple different roles. And there's got to be cooperation between the roles. I think it's a very unique design challenge. All right, so we'll leave it on that. Uh, Maybe we'll design it. Maybe somebody else will, and we'll play it. (laughs) But either way, there you go. Design discussion, two games covered, and we'll see what we get to next week. Yeah, I know uh, Steve's going to cover something next week. What's he said he's been playing lately that he really likes? Oh, gosh. I don't remember. (laughs) Didn't you just tell me earlier that he said he was playing something? I'm like, oh, that's probably what he'll cover next. Oh, Slide Quest, maybe? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so maybe more kids' games next week. Who knows? All right, but either way, thanks for listening. Uh, Go check out the YouTube channel. Check out the Slack. uh, Support us on Patreon if you like. In any case, have some good gaming for the coming week. All right, everybody. See you soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. You know what I like? Uh, party games? <laughs> Gaming with my family. And both of these games have let me play with my family, which has made me very happy. Well, we know with uh, you know a certain game that will remain nameless being your top game of last year, we know how much you love gaming with your family. <laughs> that is true. By the way, just one thing to say. <laughs> team 3, zombie pair of kids. I don't know. I had to fit two in there. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I was trying to fit a two in there. We had Team 3, just one. I had to figure out a two, and Zombie Kids was the only thing I had left. I'm out.